This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, And the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Good morning, First Prez. It's good to be with you. Um, we're continuing our series in Luke, and we're in Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. But just before we jump in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you. And Lord, we are very thankful for the love and the compassion, the mercy, the forgiveness that you bestow upon us. We're thankful, Lord, that sinners as we are, that we have been washed, and we have been cleansed. And we're no longer identified as sinners, but as sons, as daughters of the King. The beauty of being adopted into the family of God and being given the riches of the kingdom of heaven, access to the throne of grace, that we can come boldly before you and make our requests known. What a privilege it is to be able to talk to the creator, the sustainer, and yes, the redeemer of the world. So Lord, we do come before you. We come full of joy and gladness. Thankful for the opportunity to come into your house and to sing your praises, to sit under your word. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, unblock our ears Open our eyes. Soften our hearts. God, change us. Conform us more and more into the image of the beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to hate the things you hate and to love the things you love. Create in us new desires, new actions, new thoughts. May we be that new creation you've called us to be. May we be a church that truly is a city set on a hill, a lamp, a beacon to the world, proclaiming the hope and the salvation that Christ alone offers. God, I pray that we would be your witnesses, that we would be your ambassadors, that we would proclaim the good news to everyone around us, that they may come and know Christ. Lord, we do come before you humbly, admitting our need 
but also thanking you for your greatness and your mercy. And so, Lord, we do bring before you the members of First Pres that are struggling, those who are wrestling physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Lord, we pray that you would hold them up, that you would strengthen them. Lord, give us wisdom in how to be the hands and the feet that you've called us to be, that your church would wrap its arms around the members and love them well. God, I pray that you would be glorified by your church and that we, your saints, would recognize all of the glory and joy and happiness you bestow upon us through the beloved Son, our Savior. God, I pray for your word that it would be preached today, that I would not get in the way of King Jesus, but Lord, I pray that he would be made much of that we would see ourselves as a man sees himself in the mirror in the morning, that we would see our ugliness and that we would see so desperately our need for Jesus. Help us to run to King Jesus. God, minister to us in this hour. Transform us. And that we leave this place, may we be changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Today, we discuss something that everyone is affected by. It's been said that there's two things that are inevitable in life, death and taxes. You may be able to cheat on your taxes, although I don't recommend it, but you will never be able to cheat death. Last Monday, we celebrated Memorial Day. Memorial Day is the day we celebrate those that have died in duty in battle. Let me be very clear, the death of a soldier in battle is never natural. It can be violent, it can be horrific, it's anything but natural. Truth be told, however, death is never natural. Death is the reality of war. See, death is war on God's creation. Death is an intrusion into life that God created. Death is the consequence for the fall of Adam. In fact, God warned Adam in Genesis 2.17. He said, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We're told that Adam sinned. And we're told that death then entered the world. Understand the contrast, a world that was full of new life and beauty now began to die. Romans chapter 5 connects the fall of Adam with death. In Romans 5.12 it says, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. The Apostle Paul picks up on this just one chapter later in Romans. In Romans 6, 23, he says, For the wage, the payment of sin, is death. The Bible is very clear that death is a reality. Death is war. But there's hope in this war. The enemy will be defeated, and that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring victory over all of our enemies. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, the very last enemy to be defeated is death itself. 
through the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus, Jesus was revealing constantly who he was and why he came. Jesus used his words as well as his actions. Last week, as Pastor David preached, we saw the healing of a sick man, the healing of a sick servant. But make no bones about it, that man was still alive. So it makes sense for Jesus to be able to heal him. Yet today, we will see Jesus raise the dead. See, this reveals Jesus' absolute authority. Jesus not only is able to heal the living, but Jesus is stronger than death. Interesting enough, in our text, Luke 7, this is the first of three miracles showing Jesus' authority over death in the Gospels. There's two other times where we see Jesus raising the dead. But this is the first. And of course, all of these just picture the resurrection of Christ. They're foreshadowing what Jesus would ultimately do. So let's take a look at our text. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus had authority, and his authority was attractive. See, authority is always attractive, and it draws us in. It's like, it's like almost like a light to a fly. We, we have to see what's going on. But it's especially attractive when that authority benefits us. We can butter up to bosses, to politicians, to those who seem to have authority. We will do everything we can to befriend them. And in our text, it's no different. We see right there in verse 11 that as Jesus is entering a town, there is a great crowd that's gathered with him. It's not just his disciples, but a great crowd. Jesus' authority is the reason for this crowd. They were captured by both Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. See, Jesus spoke powerful words. According to Mark chapter 1, it says they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one who had authority. But it was also as Jesus' powerful actions. Already in Luke, we've seen Jesus heal a leper. We've seen Jesus heal a lame man. We've seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand. And we've actually just seen Jesus heal a servant just by speaking. So ultimately, being around Jesus meant being part of something that was making life better. Being around Jesus was being a part of something that you saw was healing and helpful and encouraging. Can you imagine the contrast for these first century people? The use of Jesus' authority that was attractive, but it was so different than all of the kings and authorities in their lives who just sought to use people and mistreat people by their authority. Jesus was so different, and they were drawn to him. For here was one who had authority, and he used it for good. He used it to heal. He used it to help. 
He used it to create real freedom. And church, isn't that exactly what the gospel is about? Creating real healing, real freedom, real help. Freedom from the bondage of sin and shame. That's what the gospel provides. Freedom from the knowledge of of our past. That's what the gospel offers. Real joy, real love, real forgiveness. These are the gifts of Jesus. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set you free. Jesus' authority is used not to embind you, but to set you free. And as a result, the crowds were growing. Jesus had a unique authority and he used it in a unique way. And news of his actions and his words were spreading. It was attractive. The truth of the matter is, the words and actions of Christ are always attractive. But it's only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear that see how beautiful he really is. So friends, I ask you, as you sit here and as you face the reality of a sermon about death, and I preach to you the attractability of Jesus' authority, is Jesus' authority attractive to you? Do you long to sit under his leadership? Do you desire to sit under his power and his rule? Do you see the fact that ultimately in Christ is your real freedom? All the things the world says they'll provide only enslave. But Christ says, I came to bring life. But friends, understand Jesus' authority wasn't just attractive, Jesus' authority was compassionate. Upon entering the city, Jesus sees a funeral. He has a massive piece of people with him, and that what his eyes are caught on was the funeral that was taking place in front of him. This funeral, as described by Luke, was of a woman's son. The son was being carried out. But Luke goes to great measure to describe the particular situation of this woman. A woman who, yes, already lost her son, but before that had lost her husband. Consider the crowd of mourners who gathered to console their friend, who wept and cried with her. Yet, all the while, she stood alone. For it was the custom of the day that the family would walk in front of the body and Jesus' eyes were captivated upon the woman who walked alone. No husband, no child. She walked in front of the corpse of her loved one. But Jesus saw her. That's one of the most amazing things, that in the busyness of all that was going on, Jesus' eyes were captivated upon the widow. He saw her. As she walked alone, he saw her poor condition. She lost everyone. She literally had no one. And Jesus saw her in her affliction. 
Jesus was sensitive to the woman's pain. He took notice and he acted. Isn't that the good news of Jesus? He sees our pain. He knows our hearts. He knows our situations. And Jesus enters this world on our behalf. He sees our affliction and he came. He came and he had compassion on her, we're told in the text. His heart was stirred for her. No one asked Jesus to go and help this woman. Jesus saw her, and Jesus had compassion. Friends, that means Jesus sees you in your affliction, in your loneliness, in your pain. Jesus cared. He wasn't callous. He was compassionate. He sympathized. He knew her hurt just as he knows ours. And he actually has the authority to do something about it. And we see Jesus step in. I'm going to draw your attention to verse 13. At the very end, you see the words where he commands this woman. He speaks to her and he doesn't console her as we would expect him to console her. He says something that in one context can appear to be callous. He says, weep not. Imagine the words to a person at a funeral when they've already lost their husband and now they've lost their only son and Jesus' words are, weep not. Friends, I think these are the most powerful words in the whole text. This is true, later Jesus will say other words, but I believe it's here in this word, this phrase, to this woman, in this moment, when he says, weep not. These are the most powerful words in the entire text. They're loaded with love and compassion and expectancy. They're offering hope. Weep not. See, without the power that Jesus possessed, those words would just be cruel. They would be callous. They would be hurtful. But because of the authority and the power that Jesus has, those words are hope-filled words. Weep not! What Jesus is saying in that moment is, trust me! Trust me! See, in that moment, he's saying, believer, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. As believers, we're not to be left to earthly thoughts and earthly emotions. We're not to allow the emotions of this world to rule us. Our hope is to be in Christ. We're to set our minds on the things above. After all, Paul wrote in Colossians 3, Then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this world. Weep not! 
Friends, understand in those words, it doesn't mean don't feel pain. Death is robbery. I remember the loss of my dad, and I remember the pain of feeling losing someone so close. To this day, I have a hard time walking into hospitals because of the time he spent in those rooms. Weep not, Jesus says. It doesn't mean you won't feel the pain, for death is robbery. But it means that as we look to Christ, we will not let death and sorrow control us. Rather, we will be controlled by the promises of God's word. Promises like this. We are not to grieve as those without hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 For in Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even death. Romans 8.38 And then the reminder 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Weep not, Jesus says. And i got to tell you, as a pastor in a church where we have experienced some 16 deaths in just a year, I hear the words of Jesus, weep not. Funeral after funeral after funeral. And you hear him say, weep not. For your hope is in me. Causing your pastor to ask, is my hope in you? Does my congregation find their hope in Christ? For we are not to be like the world and those who grieve without hope. Jesus is present in our pain, and he says to each and every believer, weep not. For Jesus has come into this world to pay the penalty for sin. For all those who trust in him, there is now no condemnation. For the believer, death is gain, Philippians 1.21. We understand clearly that that wicked villain of death therefore has no sting. Death is powerless. Therefore, we as believers are able to bring all of our fears, all of our emotions, all of our concerns under the authority of Jesus, our loving and compassionate King. But the question for each of us is, do you personally know the compassionate authority of Jesus? Do you trust his word and his promises, even in grief and sorrow and loss? When he tells you, weep not, like those without faith, do you place your trust in him and his word? That's what he's calling us to. Because not only is his authority attractional, and not only is it compassionate, his authority is all-powerful. See, Jesus had more than sympathy for the widow. He had power to do something about it. 
And what we see in our text is that Jesus stops the men who are carrying the board of the young man is laid upon. He stops and he touches the death board. And by doing that, shock and awe must have come up around the crowd. Because the Old Testament law stated that you are never to touch something that a dead person touches, for you will be made unclean. And yet here Jesus stops the procession, and he touches the board that carries the dead man. And what does he do? He proves, I am not corrupted by death, but death is defeated by me. See, by stopping the procession, Jesus was saying, death, you've gone too far. Not one more step. Do you know what that means in the face of death for that woman? The hope that is compacted in the words, weep not, seeing the one who has authority, stopping the procession. Can you imagine the joy and the excitement what does Jesus say? But he looks at the dead boy and he says, arise. Arise. Friends, I will remind you of this. He's saying this to a dead man. Arise. Get up. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Arise. And note Jesus' response, Jesus' command brings about a response. In the very words of Jesus, there is power. Just as God creating the world by the word of his mouth, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus says to the dead man, arise. And what happens? The dead man gets up. What's most amazing to me about this is this is exactly as what the centurion said in Luke 7, 7. Last week, say a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus doesn't just have power over the matters that are going on now. Jesus is in control of everything, even death itself. Say a word and everything will be changed. That's who we have access to. The one who has authority over everything. And friends, get this. The dead listened to him. In verse 15, the dead man sat up and the dead man began to speak. Even the dead cannot ignore the authority of Christ. His authority is absolute. And his authority is good news. His authority means hope and resurrection for those who trust in him. And the most beautiful words written in this short story are found at the end of verse 15 where it says Jesus gave him to the, book, to the mother. Jesus gave the boy back to his mother. Oh, what grace, what mercy, what love. It's true. Many of us have experienced death 
And when we read pages like this in the Bible, how we cry, oh God, just allow it to be true for my loved one. Well, friend, if they are in Christ, it will be true. They will live forever. The resurrection of the dead is promised. For Christ is the first fruits. The hope we have is founded in Christ and his authority. Not even the death the powerful enemy who conquers the mighty, not even death, the powerful enemy who conquers the rich, not even death, the powerful enemy who conquers the beautiful can withstand Jesus' command. Jesus has powerful authority even over death. Praise God. Not even death can be victorious against King Jesus. But the question for us is, do we know that hope? Do we have that joy in the understanding of the promise, the pregnant promise of weep not because of the authority of who said it? Church, I ask you this because there is a call for response. In our text, the people responded. And I draw your attention to how they responded. In verse 16, it says, fear seized them. Fear. You can imagine them asking, what kind of authority is this? That even dead people come back to life. I remind you, this is the first time they've seen in Jesus' ministry the dead coming back to life. What kind of authority is this? They must have been overwhelmed by Jesus' miracle. And what was their response? They glorified God. They praised God. Unfortunately, in the text, it tells us they said a great prophet has risen among us. They only saw Jesus as a prophet. They didn't see him as God just yet. But don't miss the fact of the matter that God got the praise and as Jesus would continue to speak and work his miracles, more and more would understand who he really was. Eventually, all would understand, as they said in verse 16, God has visited his people. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, the joy. But then verse 17 says, the report about him spread. The attraction of Jesus he became now even more popular. The gospel is good news. It's good news that should be shared with all, and that's exactly what these people did. They shared the good news with all. Friends, the good news is not just simply the crucifixion. The good news is the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, where our joy is, is the message to be shared. Death does not have the last laugh. Jesus has the victory. The book of Revelation in chapter 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall meet no more. As you continue to read, you see all that he will provide. But right there, captured in verse 4, the idea that death will be no more. 
This is the good news. The good news in a world where we face death. A good news that consoles us and comforts us because of God's great compassion towards us. And yet again, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, he says, God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by. Did you catch that? The very comfort you've received in Christ is a comfort you're to share with others. And while we may look at our story and see that these people who were following Jesus fully didn't get who he was, do we? Do we really get who he is? Because if we truly understand the authority he has, wouldn't we want to share it with the world? Wouldn't we want everyone to know the hope that's found in him and his power? Wouldn't we want others to know the comfort we ourselves have received? So I ask you, who are you sharing this good news with? Who are you proclaiming the authority of Jesus to? Church, death is a reality. A reality we all will face. But Jesus has the attractional, the compassionate, and the powerful authority to overcome even death. And because Jesus has this kind of authority over death, we're not to grieve as others do without hope. No, instead, we're to share our hope with others. Where will you begin doing that today? Let's pray. Father, this is a hard sermon in light of the amount of death that our church has seen in over a year. And God, I know that as you are preparing my heart for it, the encouragement that comes in the authority of Christ, I pray, would encourage the saints today. That God, those of us who've been downcast and almost controlled by sorrow or grief, that we would experience the freedom that Christ provides that we would hear his words of promise and hope, weep not. That we would recognize who he is and the authority he possesses even over death. And God, I pray that that would bring us great joy. And God, I pray that that joy would be translated into a message of hope that we would share with the world. And God, I pray that we would be faithful in declaring this good news, a good news that changes the world with all of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.